Hello everyone, this episode is with Pierre Paul Turgeon. Pierre Paul is one of Canada's leading multifamily investing educators and brings a unique background and amazing experience to this space. He's a former CMHC multifamily underwriter and now a full-time multifamily investor. He's a really fun guy to talk to as well with a big personality. So I had a lot of fun on this episode. We spoke about the latest developments and lending programs available in multifamily investing in Canada, as well as how financing for multifamily works in general here, options you have available, CMHC insured mortgages, how to qualify for financing, many other questions around how multifamily works in Canada. I'm learning more myself about this space. And so I asked a lot of questions coming from the experience of only investing in single family homes up to this point, but we definitely got into good nuggets of information for those already well-versed in multifamily investing. We talked about the Alberta market, what Pierre Paul is seeing there where he lives, as well as the Ontario market. And of course, mindset really is the foundation for any success in real estate. We dug into that as well. Speaking of mindset, my personal favorite weekly email to read every week on mindset is Tom's blog in the Rockstar Weekly Newsletter. The newsletter touches upon a lot of my favorite things that I want to stay updated on in Canada, such as the real estate market, the economy, interest rates, Bitcoin, business building. But Tom also talks a lot about mindset and what it takes to live life on your own terms. It's very inspirational and I highly recommend you check it out. It's the one single newsletter I haven't eventually unsubscribed from in my life. I can never seem to make it too long on any other newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter and also check out Tom's latest blog posts from the past few weeks at rockstarinnercircle.com slash weekly dash newsletter. That's rockstarinnercircle.com slash weekly dash newsletter. You can check it out there. Uh, Also, Pierre Paul teaches a well-reviewed course on multifamily investing in Canada, which he talks about through the episode and also at the very end of the podcast. So if you hear this in time, he's offering a promo code to our listeners to take his online course this upcoming weekend of Friday, March 31st to April 2nd of 2023. So all the details are in the podcast episode and at the end of the show, that's literally tomorrow as I release this, uh, as we release this podcast episode. So if you don't hear this in time, no worries. He runs other courses and also offers different programs you can check out if you're interested. Without further ado, Pierre-Paul Turgeon in Multifamily Investing in Canada, everyone. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, I am live here with Pierre Paul. And this is uh, myself and Pierre Paul's first time meeting, but he's been on the podcast a bunch of times with Tom and Nick. And uh, he's a really interesting guy. Pierre Paul, I I didn't tell you before, but I've listened to all your podcasts. Uh, You seem like a wealth of information when it comes to multifamily and multi-unit, specifically in Canada. And we've been getting a ton of questions recently about multi-unit and multifamily investing. So I wanted to bring you on ask you all about what you're seeing, you know, not only in Alberta where you're investing and you're living out there and skiing a lot in Lake Louise, it seems, but also across Canada, (laughs) what you think about Ontario, multi-unit financing in general, just get a kind of overall update on the multifamily market. So just for anyone who hasn't heard you before, can you give us a really quick intro of who you are, your background and what you do? Yeah, first, absolutely, Anthony. So thank you for you guys, for Rockstar, to have me on once again. But I always start these speaking engagements, whether virtual or in person, with a little uh, gratitude rock uh, that I picked up from the shores of Lake Titicaca. You probably know this, Anthony, if you've been following me. So I, I appreciate being having this kind of a platform to share my knowledge. So yeah, my background is quite unique uh, in terms of uh, the multifamily world. 
I started working for CMET International at the head office back in 1996. Uh, at the time, I got engaged, got married in 1997. And so, again, I repeat, it was for CMET International. Uh, basically, the World Bank, believe it or not, and its subsidiary, the International Finance Corporation, the IFC, approached CMHC, Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, uh, my employer at the time until 2010, uh, to assist uh, foreign countries in setting up mortgage default insurance. Uh, you've got a question later on that we can address, but CMHC basically does not provide financing. It used to do that when it was uh, after the Second World War because it was created in order to house veterans returning from the Second World War. Uh, back then, it was directly providing financing to uh, investors or borrowers. Now, it doesn't do that anymore. But what it does, it ensures loans that banks provide to guys like you, like me and, uh, and you in terms of investors when we buy real estate, in this case, multifamily properties, apartment buildings. And uh, the banks provide the financing. CMC comes behind and insures the loans against default by us investors slash borrowers. Uh, but so basically, uh, the World Bank came in. I worked on international housing finance in amazing places, Africa, Europe, Romania, China. Uh, what did I mention? Oh, the Middle East, West Bank and Gaza. Believe it or not, I helped create PMHC, Palestine Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Shook hands with the uh, Yasser Arafat. I don't have the picture with me, Anthony. I'll, I'll send you a picture of that. But yeah, I did some cool shit uh, with CMC in my international career yeah. as a project manager. And I, I wanted to deliver on the actual core co uh, expertise of CMHC, which is, like I just said, mortgage default insurance. So in 2002, I got an assignment out here in uh, Calgary in the Prairie region. Uh, I started as a single home underwriter, uh, again, providing like insuring homes against defaults by the borrowers. Uh, so insuring principal residences, what you hear in the media all the time, uh, and small rental properties, which are categorized as one to four units. And uh, then I, I uh, started managing. I was offered a job within CMHC in the regional office in Calgary as the manager of default management and real estate, which is quite important in terms of my background. Um, real estate side is when CMHC, like somebody, a, a, a homeowner defaults on their homes or an investor, one to four units, uh, the, the, the bank tries to sell the asset back, put it back on the market to sell it. After a certain time of exposure, if the bank is unsuccessful to sell the asset back after the board defaulted, uh, then my department would take these assets back, these homes back. And I had a small team that I was managing that would try to sell these homes, obviously, at a discounted price. So that's why a lot of people sometimes say, hey, can I have CMHC's list of uh, homes that are discounted because they've been exposed on the market? Although these days, there's not a lot of defaults or there are defaults, as you know, they get snatched up pretty quickly. Lenders don't have a hard time selling the homes. So that's what I did. Uh, so that's one component. That's the real estate component of my job. The other one is default management uh, is a default management of what? Of apartment buildings, Anthony. And uh, here's the key thing that I want people really to remember to this day. Apartment buildings, multifamily properties of five or more units, to this day, Anthony, rarely default. And they're not about to default. It's a very low risk asset class. Uh, basically, if you think about it, uh, you know, the, the last check to bounce is your rent check. You need a place to live. Okay. And we saw that. Uh, I've been through how many recessions now? Well, we saw that during COVID. Uh, we're going to see that again this year. It looks like we're in the beginning of a recession. I saw that in 2008, 2009 during the Great Recession. So uh, I was so bored out of my mind because I had no defaults to manage. 
I said, hey, you know, I'm bored. Can I go to move to the front end of the business, which is as a multifamily underwriter and uh, basically underwriting apartment building? So that's sort of my very unique background, very, I would say, uh, thorough. Um, there's, I have copycats that teach multifamily investing, you know, oftentimes, uh, majority of times, graduate students of mine who came through my workshop, but there's only one Pierre Paul. So as Don Che used to say, <laughs> uh, often uh, imitated, but never duplicated. Uh, <laughs> so in terms of the breadth of knowledge that I have, which is kind of cool uh, to be able to teach that for that kind of a, and, and when I teach Anthony, you're going to laugh, but you know, because of this breadth of, uh, of knowledge, now I, I like, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher, right? I wear different hats. If I'm speaking from an investor's perspective, since I used to be a lawyer and I, I can take dirty jokes about lawyers, I'll wear this hat. And of course, I got one more <laughs> so hat. So Pierre Paul is showing which... different hats with one was an investor, one is a legal one, and one and, is a CMHC, CMHC hat. So, so you wear many hats. I do. And I want students to know what I'm expressing in the penis as an investor, then I'm wear that, the appropriate hat and vice versa if I'm expressing an opinion as a, as a, as a former underwriter, if you will, yeah, because it's nothing cool. is black and white in this business. I'm sure you've noticed that Tony. Yeah. And depending on where you're speaking from, your perspective will change. So that's a good little visual cue you have there. Absolutely. Um, so when you say you moved to the front end where you started underwriting uh, apartment buildings, so that was the insurance for those apartment buildings. Correct. That, what I just described earlier, CNBC, the banks provide you with the money, the financing, but CMHC comes behind and insured the loan against defaults by the investors or the borrowers, if you will. So that's mortgage default insurance. That is essentially what CMHC does. Yeah. Okay. So for like single family residential, uh, any down payment less than 20% down is going to need mortgage insurance in Canada, depending on the amounts, different yep. you know amount of insurance. So how does it work in the multifamily space? Same idea. The underwriting parameters are very different. And as a matter of fact, they changed significantly uh, just a year ago this month in March. Uh, but it's the same idea. CMHC comes behind and insures uh, the loans against default by the borrowers. Uh, it's, it's a much different world. It's more business-like world, uh, Anthony, in the sense that, well, first of all, you need to, uh, to, to qualify for mortgage financing when you move to the bigger leagues, if you will, of real estate investing in multifamily properties. Uh, the, general, um, the general qualifying factor is that you, your personal net worth is at least 25% of the loan amount. Now, not to be confused with 25% down payment. So uh, let me backtrack and repeat this in a different way. If you want to qualify for financing, your personal net worth should be at least 25% of the loan amount that you're asking for. And by the way, sometimes lenders, uh, if you don't take Pierre Paul's course, uh, lenders can lie to you, say, oh, you need 50%. For CMHC, uh, it is 25% of the loan amount in personal net worth in order to qualify. So that's, that's one thing. But at the end of the day, uh, Tony, everything I'm going to be telling you and sharing with you in this interview, I've got to put a big caveat. At the end of the day, whether it's CMHC or any bank, they have the final word. Uh, there's, there's actually guidelines that are published, for example, for CMHC, right? Uh, these guidelines here, underwriting guidelines, which I highly recommend people, uh, maybe I'll send you a link so people can download this. But that's what I just said, what I just stated, 25% uh, of the loan amount to qualify. It says that right in here. But at the end of the day, when the underwriter, whether it's CMHC or a conventional lender, which is the other way that we can finance deals, um, at the end of the day, it's on, every deal is analyzed on its own merits, case by case. 
despite, let's say, for example, with CMEC, it says 25% of the loan amount to qualify for financing. If the underwriter analyzing your deal feels that the risk is greater, maybe you don't have experience in managing apartment buildings, they can require 50% of the loan amount in personal net worth. So at any moment, what I want your listeners to understand is that these guidelines can change at, at will based on their the, the, the bank's or CMHC's discretion. So nothing I say is cast in stone. Every deal is analyzed on a case-by-case basis. Uh, what else is different? So let's start at the top. There's two ways of financing your deals when it comes to uh, apartment billings. There's conventional financing, which is never CMHC insured, and then there's CMHC insured financing. Conventional financing, uh, uh, it, 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 there are some limitations, but there are some flexibilities. Let me run them by you. Uh, in terms of uh, limitations, the maximum loan-to-value when you go conventional finance, and again, conventional financing is not CMH insured loan, okay? Non-CMH insured loan. Maximum loan-to-value, 75% loan-to-value. So that means that bare minimum, you're going to put 25% down. That's a down payment, okay? Maximum amortization is 25 years, Okay. However, conventional lenders are more like you and I, business owners. I'm assuming you're a real estate investor. You work for a rock star, so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, conventional lenders are more business-like. They will understand our business realities and accordingly be more flexible uh, in that regard. Um, yeah, and they, 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 will, they will understand our business realities, okay? So that's the conventional side, whereas CMHC, and this is new from a year ago exactly, CMHC came out with a brand-new product uh, which is called MLI, CMHC MLI Select. I know how well that, can you see this clearly on your screen? Y- yes, yeah, so you're saying MLI Select, like the letters yeah. MLI. Correct. Okay. And again, uh, Anthony, I'll share the links with you. People can find that uh, or I'll send it to you. I think I, that was a, a presentation that I downloaded. So, but until, so let me run it until a year ago, until this program came out. Okay. Up, up until then, in terms of loan to value, the maximum LTV was actually uh, uh, 85%. Okay. Maximum amortization was 40 years. Minimum debt coverage ratio. And I don't want to scare people. This is a very easy ratio. NOI, annual NOI, net operating income. We'll come back to that in a moment because I think one of the questions is how is it calculated? Your net operating income, which is not your net cash, it's just the income. Uh, obtained from operating the asset divided by your annual mortgage payment. Okay, that's all. And then you get a ratio. So that's simple. Okay, it's not very complicated. But the minimum DCR for CMHC until MLI Select came out last year uh, was 1.3. Okay, so I've talked about that. So, okay. Now, since MLI Select came out, why did MLI Select come out? Why did CMHC come out with a, you know, a product like this? Uh, this product now allows you the loan to value, the maximum loan to value instead of being uh, 85% is now, listen to this, 95% of the loan amount or the, the, the lending value, I should say. Okay, so we went from before MLI Select last year to at 85% maximum loan to value now to 95. So think about that, Anthony. That means you can, technically speaking, put 5% down. Okay. So, Pierre Paul, this is this is just to be clear. CMHC insured mortgages have correct. access to this lending program. Correct. It is CMHC insured financing only. Conventional lenders do not provide mortgage default insurance. Pierre Paul, okay. are there other mortgage insurers in Canada? Like I know for single family, there's Genworth. The, the, I, the, for multifamily, that I know, no, I don't think there are. No. Okay. 
So I'm not 100% sure. I'm always so stuck in my CMC world. I don't believe so. Yeah. For multifamily. Yeah, you know, you're right. For smaller rental properties, there are more other mortgages. No, it seems uh, like for, for a single family, it seems like CMHC is still like the largest one of all of them, right? Yeah. They, yeah, they insure yeah, the that, most? Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is a big change. So, so one one thing with MLI Select, you can now go up to 95% of the loan to the value. Uh, the minimum debt coverage ratio is 1.1 from 1.3. And the maximum amortization, Anthony, is 50 years. So these are huge new flexibilities in the last year. It's actually earth shattering is the way I would put this. Wow. Why did this come about? Yes. Uh, well, uh, I follow obviously my good friends, Tom and Nick, like, uh, like a religion. Uh, love uh, Tom and Nick and the whole uh, Rockstar family very much. I wish I were in Toronto to attend all the events. But anyway, uh, well, if people are not aware of this, and let me get close to the camera, we have a freaking severe housing crisis in this country. <laughs> and brace yourselves, you folks out there, because it's about to get bad. It's really bad. The housing shortage is insane. It will take decades to solve, okay? And it ain't about to get solved. That's why I tell people, Get in the game with multifamily or any kind of rental property that you can get because it, it's going to become and it's starting to uh, a social issue. Uh, I was just listening to the French news in Montreal. Montreal, there's 24,000 um, uh, homes or, or, or families that are looking for, for a place to live. Just, just as an example. And this is across Canada, right? And we know the federal government. So, uh, so CMEC said, okay, we need to address this housing crisis. Uh, it's actually, and I want to quote Benjamin Tall, which I'm sure you know, uh, CIBC uh, uh, economist at CIBC World Markets. He, he actually calls it a, uh, a housing emergency. The word crisis is too weak. It is an emergency, like a national, a real national emergency, not like the protesters in Ottawa last year. Anyway, sorry, I had to throw that one in. Uh, your <laughs> listeners will know, know me enough to know it better. Uh, so CMHC came out with this program to alleviate this housing crisis. And they're they're trying to, to they're they're trying to achieve three social outcomes. One is affordability, the second one is uh, uh, energy efficiency, and the third one is accessibility for people with handicap. So creating more affordable housing, more energy efficient, and more accessible for people with handicaps. And that's why they're providing these kind of extraordinary uh, extraordinary advantages, which conventional lenders do not provide. So it is earth shattering. I'm actually submitting my first uh, CMEC MLI select myself. And of course, I cover that in my course uh, when I teach this stuff. So uh, at a glance, that's sort of the differences. So just to recap again, I'm a teacher. I'm sorry. I know I got to recap and re-summarize. Re uh, CMEC, the two ways to finance your deals on the multifamily side, conventional financing, which is not insured by CMHC, and maximum LTV, load to value 75%. Maximum amortization is 25 years, okay? And minimum debt coverage ratio is 1.25, okay? It's not a percentage, it's a ratio. So, and now you've got CMEC, which all these flexibilities that I just mentioned, up to 50 years amortization if you use this program. Uh, in exchange for this program, I should expand a little bit more on that. Uh, you get you get allocated a number of points. I don't want to get too detailed, uh, Anthony, because it, it can get, well, it's not that complicated, but the more units you have affordable, if you keep them affordable, basically uh, that the rent for, uh, for an, uh, a, a medium income renter, if you keep it below 30% of their income, you get 
X number of points, up to 100 points, and you get to benefit the maximum benefit that MLI select. So I think for the purpose of this call, without getting too technical, just to alert people that this is new from last year. And I mean, imagine a lot of uh, something that would, would, would have stopped in the past people from investing in apartment building would say, well, I don't have enough, uh, I don't have 25% the loan amount, right? In, in uh, down payment or, you know, so now you have greater flexibilities. But I warn people as well. Yeah, go ahead. So with this MLI program, you mentioned that the purpose of it was to uh, increase the energy efficiencies, the accessible housing, and, and I think affordability. You, and affordability, affordability right? Yeah. So now this MLI program, I guess we could sum it up by you basically have to hit upon these three aspects and you Correct. earn points for hitting on these three aspects, which then offers you uh, the premium financing option that you have here. Exactly. Okay. And lower premium. I should have said that because it's an insurance, just like a car or a health insurance. You, you pay a premium, but the more you hit these points, the more points you get, the cheaper the insurance premium gets as well. Okay. Which you, you don't pay a premium when you go conventional financing because your loan is not insured, right? There's no insurance to cover your loan. Yeah, you're correct. You're on the money. Okay. Yeah. So you teach these multifamily courses as you've kind of alluded to. What do you teach most of your students to kind of go with? Is it the conventional financing for multifamily or is it the CMHC mortgage insured uh, financing? All of it. All of it. All of it, all depending of it. on the situation of the person. So it's a very good question. Very good nuance. Actually, all of it, because you may use all of it. Okay. Uh, I think one of the questions that you, you had pre, pre-submitted was, which one do you use most? Uh, because of these flexibilities that I mentioned, like, uh, let's say, for example, longer. If you go CMHC, you can amortize up to now 50 years. If you go CMHC, MLI select. Imagine what it does to your cash flow if that's what you want to do, right? Your loan is amortized over a longer period of time. Mind you, it's going to take you forever to pay the loan down, but maybe as an investor, that's what you want. But I, I teach both because as an investor, I need both types of financing. For example, uh, as I mentioned, conventional financing is more business-like. And uh, if I buy an asset, it, it needs a lot of TLC, uh, I need to turn the property over. I need to complete some significant improvements. Uh, I need to maybe uh, clear some tenants. I mean, there's there's some issues that needs to be resolved, or maybe I need time to increase my rent, depending on your jurisdiction. I know in Ontario it's quite restrictive uh, rent increases and so on. So I need more time uh, to do to maximize to stabilize the asset and maximize the performance of the asset, namely maximizing income wherever I can and reducing operating expenses in order to uh, maximize what? My best friend, NOI. When you're a multifamily and apartment building owner, the net operating income is always your best friend because for every dollar in increased net operating income, depending on how compressed cap rates are in your market area, uh, the property will appreciate exponentially, like a ratio of one to 15 or one to 26, let's say downtown core Toronto, if you were to buy an apartment building, the more the cap rates are compressed. So you can create equity a lot faster. It's one of the greatest advantages of investing in larger apartment buildings. Uh, Wait, but, sorry, Pierre so, Paul, can I stop you? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't absolutely. fully, under, I didn't fully understand that. So by increasing the NOI, which is like essentially what your cash flow from the property? No, no, no big mistake. Thank you for asking the question. Okay. It's the income before you service your debt. So it's the income uh, generated from operating. So it's all my income. Uh, all my rental income and plus my ancillary income. I have a building that I, I rent parking stalls to make a building next door. So that's a recurring income minus uh, my, my vacancies. I get my effective gross income from my income. I have to subtract all my operating expenses 
uh, insurance, property management, advertising, utilities, and all that. And then so my effective gross income minus my operating expenses gives me an NOI. But so net operating income. Then I have to subtract from my NOI my mortgage payments. All the numbers are annually. Then I end up with my net cash flow. So NOI is before you subtract your okay. uh, your uh, mortgage payments on an annual basis. Okay. Thank you for breaking that down. Uh, now, yeah. how does the NOI impact the appreciation? You mentioned that it has a massive impact on appreciation. Yeah. So for, for a lot of your listeners, uh, they invest in smaller rental properties, one to four units. The way of arriving at a value of, an, of a small rental property, when I say one, small rental, one to four units, okay, anything up to fourplex. Uh, the way to arrive at the value is by using the sales comparison approach, right? You get an appraisal, you got the subject property that you're having appraised, and then you have comps, comparables, right? That's And the, the appraiser will make a price adjustments based on different amenities that each of the comps have. In my world of multifamily investing of five or more units, the main valuation method is the income capitalization approach or the cap rate approach, okay? But we will use the comp or the, the sales comparison approach a little bit to compare maybe the value per door, uh, the condition, different assets. But by and large, what you need to, to answer your question specifically, the net operating income, the NOI, is the driver of the value of the asset by and large. Why? Uh, it's, it's perceived and it's just a perception in my book as a more subjective way of arriving at a, at a subjective valuation, basically. Uh, because you take NOI, you divide it by the average cap rate for comparable properties in your marketplace, and you arrive at an approximation, an approximation of the value for this asset in relationship to other comps in the marketplace. Mm. You understand what I said? I know it's getting complicated and that it's, it takes me three days to teach this yeah. stuff. But by the time I'm done on the Sunday, everybody understand all these things. That's what it is. So the income, the NOI is the driver of uh, the valuation, uh, Anthony. That's that's what the, the key difference is. So the more, the greater your NOI, the property will appreciate exponentially. Want, to, want me to do a quick uh, calculation for you? Sure. Yeah. All right. So let's do this completely spontaneous. But let's say I got a, I got a, 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 a building, which is a realistic number, generates... Um, $100,000 in NOI a year, okay? I divided by, all right, so $1,000 divided by, we're going to use, let's say I'm going to go with numbers out in your, let's say west of, you know, Toronto, GTA, 4% cap rate, okay? I get a value of $2.5 million, okay? But let's say that was with $100,000 annual NOI, Okay. So let's assume the cap rate is constant and I use what, 4%? I got to remember that, help me to remember that. But let's say all of a sudden I give a small increase to this property. Let's say I increase my NOI by $6,000, okay? So all of a sudden my income now is $106,000. You agree with me? I had $100,000 before. Mm -hmm. I still divided by the same cap rate of 4%. Look at what's going to happen to the value. I just made 150K, Anthony. Mm -hmm. You follow me? Yeah. And just, just by increasing my rent by three grand a year, so exponentially. So it doesn't take long after a number of years, you give your little rental increases that you can create wealth a lot faster. But you still have to service your mortgage after that. So that's sort of a, a key difference with smaller rental properties is that the, the value of the asset is derived out of the, um, 
out of the income that the property generates. Now, how do you find out the 4% cap rate? Well, you, you look at the market and you find comps, you know, uh, same kind of construction type, uh, uh, condition and so on, neighborhood. And you can calculate the cap rate for each of these properties that recently sold. And you say you arrive at an average. In this case, for a comparable property, I just used an example, 4%. That's how it's done. Yeah. Okay. So a key difference with small rental properties. But if you ask me why, and that was one of your questions here, why do I prefer multifamily, like larger apartment buildings? That's the reason, man. I can create more wealth a lot faster. And, and the property has enough income to pay for a professional property manager plus an on-site manager. So if your boy can go skiing, uh, traveling to Italy like I did in September, I don't know where I'm going this year, uh, you know, stuff like that. I, I have time, you know, okay. living life on my own terms, as you would say, Rockstar. So do most of your students, do you find that they're graduating maybe from single family or they start out single family investing and move to multi-unit? How many people really start from no real estate investing experience and go right to multi-unit? Uh, good question. So you've got two questions in there. Uh, yes, I would say that the normal graduation for my students is they're, they're like, I don't know, I haven't asked you if you invest in multifamily properties or do you or do you not? I own some student rentals, but... Uh, okay, but not multifamily. No, they're business. single okay. families chopped up into multiple bedrooms. Okay, but yeah. you're right. The majority of people uh, are people like in your shoes that have invested in the smaller rental properties. And then they say, Jesus, whoops, I was about to say a bad word. <laughs> um, this is a lot of work, these small rental properties, isn't it, Anthony? Uh, it can be. It can be. Yeah. So why don't I do multifamily uh, properties which are uh, have better economies of scale and better leverage? And that's how they come to the realization. So it's unusual for people not to have any kind of uh, prior real estate experience, uh, but it's not necessary, actually. Yeah. I think that if people knew uh, before they started investing in real estate at all, of the benefits of investing in apartment buildings, which we can cover, because I think that was one of your questions there. Uh, I think they would jump sooner to investing in multifamily properties. Mm. Uh, but like Tom and Nick, and you know the speakers that are at those events, at Rockstar events, anything, any real estate investment, you should you should try. But I want to restate that we have a housing emergence in this country. Get off your butt and start investing now because you're going to regret it. We have now opportunity and it's across Canada. Obviously, it's more dire in your neck of the woods and GTA, lower mainland versus Columbia, larger cities. But it is a phenomenon across Canada. No difference uh, here. Actually, here it's at the onset because how home prices are still low. But um, yeah, it, it, anybody can do this. You don't have to be a former CMT underwriter like I am, especially if you take my course. I share all my knowledge with you. Matter of fact, Anthony, just a couple of days ago, I reconnected with uh, a blog post that I just posted yesterday for people. You can go to multifamilyinvestingcanada.com. Um, a couple, they had like you invest in small rental properties and then they were in the process of buying or they, they had some a nine plex kind of more or less under contract or somebody was holding it but they realized we don't have the wherewithal, the knowledge to proceed with financing. Took my course within, I think, a few weeks, closed on that nineplex. Mm -hmm. After that, they bought a 28plex. So you're correct. This is the usual way. People have some experience first with smaller rental properties, then they move on to multifamily, but it's not necessary. Now, Pierre Paul, what are, what are the... 
what are the barriers to entry to the multifamily market for a lot of people? Is it raising the amount of capital needed for these potentially higher down payments on larger multifamily properties? Uh, is it the net worth requirement that you talked about where you need to have, was it for conventional financing, you need a 25% or CMHC plus. insured, conventional, sometimes it's the same, but yeah, in that vicinity, somewhere between 25 and 50% of the loan amount of personal net worth to qualify. Yes. In personal net worth. Okay. So if yeah. I'm buying a million dollar property, I need a $250,000 net worth. You got it. You got okay. It. So are, are these the barriers to entry? No. Uh, I tell you, Barry, frankly, it's mindset first. Okay. Uh, as Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you can't, either way, you're right. And Henry Ford, that built Ford Motor Company, okay? So it's mindset first. Uh, we all tend, as human beings, we have all our limiting beliefs, so we, we tend to think small. And by the way, I'm number nine of a family of 12 kids from, from some mining town in northwestern Quebec. So I grew up with plenty of limiting beliefs about money and, you know, and, and being rich and all of that. So that's your first hurdle. Then it's, I would say, it's education. This stuff, unlike smaller rental properties, and I don't want to put down people who invest in small rental properties, but my world is a highly specialized world. Uh, the stakeholders you're going to be dealing with from the realtor, mortgage broker, building inspector, and of course, the lenders, all expect you to have a higher knowledge, degree of knowledge in this business as you start interacting with them. When you don't, this is when you get blacklisted. And believe you me, I can tell stories until I'm blue in the face of actual real people who try that. So, so I think so. Just to recap, mindset is your first hurdle, changing that mindset. And it's, it's, a, it's a mental gymnastic, just like working out in the gym. You can change that. Then it's knowledge. You got to get some knowledge if you, you don't want to burn bridges. And after that, it is capital. Uh, but you've heard it from uh, me, my former job managing defaults. I was bored out of my mind. I told you that I during the recession, they didn't default. Apartment buildings didn't default. I'm telling you, if we have a recession this year, soft planning, whatever, they don't default. I mean, really, unless you really screwed up the underwriting, the analysis of the investment at the onset. Uh, but if you use systems like the ones that I teach, JMT has uh, the highest standards in the land in terms of uh, assessing the deals. So, uh, so why is it that you see that you see this history of them not defaulting? Is it because of the cash flow from the multiple units just helps cover? You it, and those it's low risk vacancy. Like I said, the rent check is the last check that's going to bounce. During COVID, when uh, when COVID began in March 2020, uh, at the beginning, we were wondering how we're going to be able to rent our vacant units. Well, people stayed. People continued to pay at 96% average, national average in Canada, their rent. People did not default on their rent uh, payments. Uh, so uh, for that reason, people always need somewhere to live. Uh, and I think it's also the underwriting parameters that I'm more than happy to teach. That's the workshop that you see behind me. If you follow those steps, you there's no such a thing as 100% risk-free investment, but it's pretty close up there. And especially if you go CMAC, uh, but even on the conventional side, it's, 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 it's a NASA class that is very stable, very counter-cyclical when the going gets tough, it does well. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a low-risk asset. Here, Paul, what are you most excited about recently in the world of multifamily? What's the most exciting uh, change that's come? Is it the CMHC well, MLI program? I'm definitely stoked about that, Anthony, because like I said, I'm, I'm, I started uh, my, my first application. I'm refinancing this apartment building. Uh, it's my largest. It's a 38-unit building. Uh, that's, that's very exciting. Absolutely. It gives you a lot of flexibility. 
you know, going up to 95% loan to value, I don't think is advisable in my book. Uh, and a DCR 1.1, that means that your NOI barely covers your mortgage payments. And to be honest with you, I'll give a hand to people. When I teach this stuff during the upcoming three-day workshop, um, I give one set of numbers when you play the financing game. Then I teach my students the real numbers. And for some odd reason, in that world of appraisers and bankers, they don't have all the numbers, okay? So when you calculate a DCR 1.1 based on the game that the banks and CMHC and conventional lenders play, it's too tight. So I would not recommend, even though CMC offers you a lo very low debt coverage ratio 1.1, I don't recommend that. That you, You're putting on uh, uh, many layers of risk over that deal, which I would not recommend. And that's that's the kind of a talk when I speak as an underwriter or as an investor, I would draw the difference, you know, uh, different games being played. But there are games being played in this industry. You probably know that even in a small rental world that you you, you operate in. So... Uh, but that's exciting. What I'm excited about, I, I keep coming back to that housing emergency. Uh, it's a great time for opportunities. I'm, I'm, I chose to be a landlord and I'm not a slumlord. I, my units, uh, I'm in a beautifully beautiful home with renovated basement here. I've got the laminate flooring and all of that because I know Canada, that's what excites me. Canada is moving be towards becoming a society of renters. And just like the majority of the world are, like in Europe and most countries, people rent. They don't own homes. And I'm on the right side. I'm on the landlord side. I'm going to benefit from that. And it's not like taking advantage of a bad situation. I didn't create that situation, but I'm certainly going to take advantage of it uh, by being a good landlord with sound. Uh, so that that really excites me. I'm, I'm glad to be in the right place in the right kind of business as a real estate investor. Mm -hmm. Okay. These multifamily deals, you keep saying that it's more business-like and it definitely is because even the properties are valued based on their income uh, and not comparable sales. Um, but do you have to submit essentially a business proposal or a full business plan when you're, when you're trying to qualify for these properties? Okay. So let me toot my own horn. When you take my course, you actually get <laughs> my sample financing. You're like I'm setting you up here, and I don't mean to. I just really am. <laughs> I'm curious, and it feels like every question I have, the answer is uh, take this course. Well, it's because I used to be a lawyer too, right? Remember, so when I used to go to court, <laughs> you you stand in front of the judge, and you got all these stats. So this this is the property risk factors. So you got all everything pertaining to property condition, etc. Then you got the market risk. So everything pertaining to how, what are the risks in the marketplace? Uh, rents, are they, how are they compared to average? And then you got the fourth, the third risk factor, the valuation risk factor. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then of course you got the bore risk factor. You as a bore, your risk factor. So the point is, this is what you have to submit to get financing. So Pierre Paul, uh, for the people listening, Pierre Paul's holding up a thick binder full of papers with dividers and he's flipping through it. And so is that, that's an example binder of a property proposal that you submitted? Correct. And wow. you, so it's called the financing application. And when you take my, my course, you get a, a template, my template, the real application. All I have to do is put in your information the way I formatted it. And you're going to look like, and no pun intended, like a freaking rock star. And I mean this because I heard it again from uh, this couple that took my course and are building a 296 uh, unit building in out east on the East Coast. Uh, the lender BMO was blown away by their knowledge after taking my workshop. It is kind of a management plan. I like the term that you used. I would submit a management plan, for example, Anthony, if uh, it's one of those uh, maybe a class, I'm going to say a class D property that needs some TLC, some upgrades and all of that. 
In that particular case, let me give you, and this is how I teach, right? I teach experientially. We analyze deals in my class. Not all I like Pierre Paul flapping his jaws and I have guest speakers, including a mortgage broker. But let's say I buy a class D building. It needs a lot of work. Uh, so my NOI is not maximized because I need to maybe evict some tenants. I need to complete some upgrades. Uh, I need time for that. Then instead of committing this deal to a full five-year loan term, which is a standard loan term, you can get longer terms if you will, but let's use a standard five-year loan term. Then I say, okay, I need a bridge loan because that's another question that you were asking me, right? I need a bridge loan because I need to do some stuff to this property to maximize, to stabilize it to uh, in order to achieve the maximum NOI, therefore the maximum valuation for that asset. So I'm going to take a bridge loan, a, a, an interim loan or a mezzanine loan, right? It's going to take me to a, a larger loan amount in the meantime. And I'm, I, I, it's usually 12 months. So bridge loan is usually, a, a, a bridge loan is about 12 months. And upfront, the lender wants to know, how am I going to get paid out at the end of the 12 months? Hence the management plan that you were referring to. That's the circumstance where I would say, here's what I'm going to do, complete all these upgrades, do this and that with the property, increase my rents to X amount because the market uh, can support these rents and so on. So that, that, that's why it makes sense to get a bridge loan until I can maximize or stabilize my asset and maximize its performance. Then once I'm done with my bridge loan, I've done all these things to my asset. And by the way, that's what I'm teaching tonight uh, in a few hours of financing and a case study on, on point. Uh, once I've done all these things, then I have two choices. And uh, yeah, a picture is worth a thousand words. Then I have a bunch of choices depending on circumstances I'm facing. In this case, after my bridge loan, I can go what? Tony, question for you. I'm going to check uh, your knowledge now, verify your knowledge. After what are the two ways I can finance my deal after my bridge loan? Uh, conventional financing or CMHC insured. You get an A, my <laughs> friend. You get an A. But again, there's various circumstances depending on what I'm dealing with. Okay. So just to give you an example, a picture is always worth a thousand words, right? Uh, you don't teach an old monkey like me how to make faces. You know, I've been there, done that. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's kind of, uh, yeah, that's kind of it. That's how you would decide uh, which type of financing to use based on the circumstances of your deal, based on whether you need the CMC flexibilities or not. Uh, one key flexibility about CMC, well, I forgot to mention that that's super critical. Your interest rate, when the, when the bank has their loan insured by CMHC, the interest rate, Anthony, is 1% lower. Imagine what it does to your cash on cash return investment. Significant. Okay. You make more money by going through CMHC. But I'm not going to dispute it. I used to be a freaking bureaucrat in the cubicle at CMHC. It's a pain in the butt to deal with my former employer. It's a pain in the butt to, to prepare one of these financing applications. Well, one of the things that couple, very few people, even though I teach people how to do this, this financing application together, very few people have the guts and the perseverance to do it. They usually resort to working with a mortgage broker, which is not a bad thing. But my job as, a, as an instructor, as a teacher, is to empower people like you. If you choose to, you can go directly to a lender, which is usually what I do here. Okay, In this particular case with CMHA MLI Select, because it's brand new, and by the way, because I'm getting my mortgage agent license, I'm going to work with a friend of mine who comes to my workshop. He's a mortgage broker. But what I want people to understand is I'm putting them in the, in the seat. They have the power to go straight to a lender, which is always what I've done, thereby saving me 1% of the loan amount in mortgage broker fee. That's, uh, that's, that's if you get it CMHC insured. But then aren't you paying- that, No, any mortgage broker will charge you roughly 1% of the loan amount uh, in broker fee. Oh, got it. Sorry. Regardless thought... whether you CMHC or conventional. No. 
Oh, sorry. I thought for some reason I had heard that C, if you go CMHC insured, then you save the 1%. But you're saying if you no. go straight to the lender, not a mortgage. You're, you're confusing two things. So you're right, actually. You're right. It's confusing. I get it. Because both are 1%. No, no. Mortgage broker, usually on average, negotiable, you can shop around, will charge you 1% of the loan amount in fee uh, to prepare one of these financing applications. However, when you go conventional financing, uh, the interest rate is 1% higher than if you go CMHC insured financing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it pays off to go CMHC, but it's a pain in the butt significantly. A lot of hoops. They're very demanding. But so, anybody. Okay. So let me ask you this Aren't you paying a premium? If you go with the CMHC you insured, because you're very good at they're very good interviewer, Anthony. Very good question. Here's <laughs> the thing: you recover that within five years because you pay an interest rate lower by one percent when you go CMHC insured route. You get what your loan payments are lower. Therefore, you you get a greater cash flow, and that money, the premium, the insurance premium, you don't have to pay it. It's it's uh, the the bank. What the bank will do. It's not extra cash that you got to come up on top of the capital. The bank will capitalize the insurance premium on top of the loan. So it's going to be amortized within the loan amount. So key, very good question. Thank you for reminding me of answering that question. So okay. I want to repeat. Yeah. Yes, you pay a mortgage default premium like any insurance. You pay a premium, but it's not extra money you got to come up with. Let's say you get a million dollar loan and your premium is, let's say, $50,000. The bank will increase the loan amount by fifty thousand dollars and amortize that loan of a million fifty thousand dollars. So mm -hmm. it's not extra money, and you recover that within five years because you get a greater cash flow. Yeah, it, it just reminds me when I purchased my first rental property, I put five percent down, and it was you know just a single family home, and everyone was like, "Hey, but you're paying a, a premium for the mortgage insurance. Like, why not wait till you save up twenty percent?" And I was like, "Look, do you think I come from money here? Like, how do you know how long it's going to take me to save up?" the 20% at the time. And I was like, big picture thinking, I'd rather pay this, this mortgage insurance premium because it gets me in the market. And I think it was like 16,000 or something. And it was amortized over my 25 year mortgage. And then that was back in 2019. The home has gone up by at least 150,000 in appreciation and, you know, all kinds of other benefits with the cash flow. Well, you're, you, you, you've been taught well, Right, you've been taught well, and let me guess, you got uh, black hair but no gray hair yet. So how <laughs> how long ago was that? What was the interest rate on that first purchase of yours? Uh, so that would be three years ago now. In twenty, yeah, no, I guess going on, yeah, three three to four years ago. Sorry, and, and uh, but interest, the interest rate was next to nothing. What was yeah, it's two point two point six nine two point six nine. Ridiculous! It's yeah. free money. It was right? free money. Yeah, and because you you've been you know you're a part of the rockstar family. Like I said, I, I I look up immensely you know to the rockstar family and Tom and Nick. I mean, you've been taught well. Yeah, people think small. People yeah. think too small. You've got to think business. You're you're worth the money. Well, well done for a young man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so th thank you. Um, so I had another question. The mortgage broker. Uh, so mortgage broker can be a great option for single family rentals because they have options yep. uh, to go with all these different lending products and, and relationships with different lenders and, and really get you the best deal that can, it, it might not even be the lowest interest deal that's out there, but it could be the deal that allows you to keep qualifying for more and more mortgages. You know, if you're looking to really yep. grow your portfolio. Yeah. So is there that type of, you know, kind of big picture benefit to working with a commercial mortgage broker? Absolutely. For the majority of people, I would say yes. For a guy like me, no, who's plugged in with a bunch of lenders and, you know, I, I don't need to. Excuse me. I shouldn't drink coffee when I'm doing an interview. Uh, it's the afternoon here. 
Absolutely, Anthony. It does make sense to go with a mortgage broker, especially if your deal is funky and you don't have the level of sophistication. And also just to shop around for the best lender for your the, the circumstances of your deal. So I think it does pay off to go with a mortgage broker. There was a time, I admit, and, and this friend of mine that comes to my workshop, and I, hopefully I'll, I'll end up working with him because I just want to backtrack a little bit. I am getting my mortgage agent. As soon as my workshop is done on Monday, I'll, I'll knock it out within a few days and get my license. Uh, I hope to work with that person. But in the old days, like I said, I went straight to lenders because I used to know these lenders when I was at CMHC. So I already have this fantastic relationship with the lenders. But the one thing that uh, I don't have is all these connections with different kind of uh, lenders that the mortgage broker has access to. And like I said, Anthony, uh, without getting into details, I'm, I started to give you a detail, uh, an example earlier. When you have a funky deal that doesn't quite fit the mold, especially for CMHC, uh, the mortgage broker knows a bunch of different lenders that have different risk appetite and they will match you with the right lender for the circumstances of your deal. So I do encourage people to use a mortgage broker, especially at the beginning. This being said, not to toot my own horn, but here we are. Uh, like I, I had <laughs> my heart. No, but it's just, it just happened that two was, days ago, right? Yeah. that was. Uh, I just have it, to say that was the best segue ever. <laughs> but here we well, are. Like I said, I live in Calgary, my friend. It's on my first rodeo, you know, to heard about the stampede. <laughs> Here, Paul, you're a lot of fun to talk to, man. <laughs> well, that's what Tom and Nick say, but usually we drink uh, when we do these podcasts, Nick. I mean, uh, Anthony, next time you and I have to have yeah, a Yeah, let's do no, it. But let's do it. Seriously, though, this couple, it's like I don't follow up with my students. They, they did this interview with me, just like you and I are on Zoom, two days ago. In the background, do you know what I see? I see the ocean. They're in Ecuador in their brand-new freaking condo, man, all right? And they told me, they said, we went, we, we did what you said. We went straight to the lender. Now this lender wants to finance our construction of 296 units. Okay. Wow. And I gave them the lowdown. Now that's a much higher level of sophistication. So I gave them the, the general picture how to handle this. But the, the, the point is you can save a lot of money. If you do that, you have the power to do that. But in, in their case, they already have a very close relationship like I do with one particular lender who has appreciated their level of sophistication. That makes sense. But if you don't have that, then a mortgage broker definitely makes sense. I cannot deny that. Okay. How does the lending landscape kind of look for multifamily in terms of, is it banks lending you money? Is it credit unions? How does it compare maybe yeah. to single family? Oh, oh. I, I like it. I like it. The one thing that you need to remember, and this is kind of, I teach this in this space here, right? So sort of the planning and research the multifamily world is a very specialized world. So whoever you work with, whomever you work with has to be a specialist of multifamily. We're talking from the realtor's point of view. You need to work with only multifamily realtors, uh, building inspector, mortgage broker, and lenders. Credit unions, some of them, if you're lucky, but I don't have a fond memory of working with credit union. Why? Because they do so few deals like that. The stuff that I teach, we don't have that knowledge. The general, I'm generalizing, okay? There's always exceptions to everything I'm saying. My, my big caveat up front, but that has been my experience uh, with, but any lender, any chartered bank can do it. Uh, they need to be approved. If they go CMC, they need to be approved. But generally speaking, you want to make sure, ascertain that the lender you're dealing with or whoever you're dealing with, uh, the other stakeholders, realtor, et cetera, are multifamily specialists. In terms of the landscape, um, like I said, these are to be a multifamily owner. Uh, we have this housing emergency. 
so you know that people are looking for rental accommodations. They will be for decades before this problem gets solved. And uh, so all across Canada, obviously, GTA, it's a bit of a stampede situation. You know, I considered and I did my homework uh, in the Golden Horseshoe, for example, all the way from, you know, if you will, Oakville going around the lake all the way to Niagara. I looked at properties and so on. You got values that are extremely high, a cap rates, therefore very compressed. Um, so that's, uh, it's a difficult environment there, right? Uh, what, but what there are other difficult? markets. What makes it difficult? Is it just the reduced because, cash flow? Because you go, well, it's, yeah, it, it, you're paying high prices per door, right? The demand for these housing accommodations is so significant and there's a lot of investors uh, competing for these few properties. Um, but, you know, uh, rents are, are, are at the 20-year high right now and vacancies are going down because, you know, they bring in five half a million immigrants every year. A million people entered Canada in 2022. These numbers are staggering. And that's why I say that this housing emergency is going to become a social issue. Uh, the reason, sorry, I'm not a clown, but you got you to be entertaining. We're teaching. People will remember when I get close to the camera. <laughs> it's going to become a social issue. Uh, yeah, it needs to be resolved. So the, the landscape looks really good for any landlord in Canada in my book. Okay. So are the banks that are lending, is it the, the big five banks? Yeah, it's uh, it's usually the big five banks, uh, but there's some lenders that are specialized. Uh, one is First National is uh, the largest, actually, uh, one of the largest lenders in Canada. Uh, you got people like People's Trust. But like I said, you'll get your BMO guy that will do it. Just make sure that they have multifamily experience. The reason I insist on that, uh, Anthony, is because so many times, and now I wear well, this app, when I was an underwriter, right, and you got some credit units submitted a financing application, hasn't done a multifamily deal ever, and you as the investor, you think you're freaking out because they don't know how to do it and it's taking a long time. Uh, they're, they're submitting incomplete financing applications to me, you know, and then it, it, it delays and maybe you're going to lose the deal, maybe you're going to lose your deposit. Do you imagine your level of stress? So you, you don't want to do that. You want to work with the pros in this particular world, but any chartered bank can, can obviously uh, make a multifamily loan. That's not an issue. But just make sure when you interview your banker, how much experience you have in multifamily deals and how many how many have you done in the last year or so to give you an idea that's how, that's what i teach my students how to select uh, who they're working with okay so it sounds like you do, you teach your students a well-rounded array of skills and strategies what do most of them end up doing do they go with value add projects do they go a turnkey like what do they actually go out and do in reality after taking your courses i don't know <laughs> <laughs> why? Because I don't follow up with them. That's why I got so excited uh, the last couple of weeks when this young couple that took my workshop just uh, in November 20 got back. Yeah, I don't do the following up, but it's it's all of the above. So obviously, a value add is what we all look for. For example, uh, tonight, if people have, uh, because I know a lot of Rockstar have signed up for the master class, and that's why I'm doing an extra one. Uh, because I was supposed to, the last one was supposed to be last week. In my example, it is an example of a value add because for us, it's a, it's a, it's a gem in the rough, right? My NOI was below, particularly this case study that I'm using tonight in my masterclass. Like it's going to start in a few, two, three hours. Um, I, I show exactly how a bridge loan works because my rent was, my, my rents were below market average quite significantly. I think my rent increases were like somewhere between $100 and $150 
a month below market average for that zone, okay? So I knew that I needed to get a bridge loan to deal with that specific situation. And then I knew at the outcome, once I had done, completed the repairs and increased my rents, I would apply for CMH insured loan. Why? It's a pain in the butt, but I, I pay an interest rate 1% lower than if I go conventional financing. And so that's that's how, you know, yeah, but so, but a value add enabled me, get this, we got a cash on cash return on investment in 10 months, because I don't use my own money. By the way, like I said, when you ask me what are the obstacles to investing in multifamily properties, first one is what? Mindset. And then is knowledge, understanding how the mechanics of this game, uh, they, they, they work. Uh, but then we went with, uh, we did uh, cash on cash return on investment, 37% in 10 months. So I gave my, 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 my shareholders, uh, 30% of their capital back within 10 months. Now, in Alberta, unlike Ontario, and I, I used to be a, an on-site manager when I was at U, uh, U, of, U of Ottawa. Uh, I used to be the, the on-site manager, and I did legal aid when I was in law school at, in Ottawa. But uh, uh, we don't have restrictive rent controls here. The only restriction is you can increase your rent uh, once a year at the most, but it, the amount of your rental increase is not capped. It's whatever the market can bear. And uh, we still have the lowest rents pretty much in the country and lowest, lowest uh, home prices as well. So it, they do whatever. It, this is the thing, Anthony. And this is why I have charts like this, especially on the financing side. Depending what the issue is, you want to pick the type of financing that will get you to where you're, you, you want to go. And one thing, it also depends what you want. This first box, planning research, is about you, the investor. What do you want? What do your shareholders want? What's your tolerance for risk? What's your budget? Uh, what level of effort? When I started, my, my hair wasn't this gray and I had way more thicker, right? But my kids were this big, right? I didn't want to take a, on a, a value add kind of project or maybe a class B, B plus, a few things to do. So you will adjust. And, and then, so this is the first box of the entire investment process. And guess what it ends? Can you read this? This is also you, your goals, restart. It goes straight back to what you want at the onset. And you will, you will use the, strategy, whether it's financing or investing strategy that will match the circumstances of your deal, of your market conditions, of your desires as an investor is, is in a nutshell. Yeah. Were you a real estate investor in, let's say, single family when you were working at CMHC and then you started underwriting these deals? Like, What attracted you to get into multifamily and when did you get into it? Well, uh, I married into real estate. My wife was like you. She had single homes. And the moment we started dating, guess who was up on the roof, fixing the roof, painting and renovating? It was Pierre Paul. Uh, <laughs> my, my wife is very much involved in our real estate. She's, uh, she's got tremendous uh, business savvy and real estate savvy. Uh, but no, I, look, I just lucked out. I mean, again, I, my gratitude rock. I'm very grateful. Very grateful. Um, you know, I was working for CMHC International, but I, I didn't know the core expertise of CMHC. So I wanted to work on international projects, but accordingly, I needed to develop or acquire that technical mortgage default insurance. So I moved to Calgary, I acquired it. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're exposed to all of it all at once like that, right? I did single underwriting. Like I said, the stuff that, you know, you do smaller rental properties. Then I did default management real estate. Then I did multifamily underwriting. So all of a sudden, I, I, was, I was exposed to everything, the entire picture, and quickly understood like 2008, Anthony, uh, remember, well, 2008 was the big credit crunch. Like we all remember this was scary as hell, okay? The banks in between themselves were not lending 
money overnight lending to each other. That was scary. I'm telling you. And I had my first building on my own. Uh, I had bought one with as a science investor before that, but at some point, the money wasn't there almost. And my lender didn't say, Pierre Paul, yeah, I know I approved your loan, but I'm not sure if I'm going to have money. And then 2009, officially, the Great Recession began. And Anthony, I want your people watching this. I get When I get close to the camera, you know it's important. My big aha moment came in 2009 when I saw, as a multifamily underwriter, sitting in my little cubicle at CMC, how much multifamily owners were making. What happened back then? Interest rates dropped down significantly. That's when they were. They came down to the about 2% range in 2009. And multifamily owners were refinancing their multifamily products, pulling millions, especially the large landlords, the real estate investment trust. And with that, buying more apartment buildings or investing in other ventures. So for me, that wealth multiplier effect, the, the, the big NOI multiplier effect, you know, I, I saw it. I said, holy shit. I want to invest in multifamily properties when I grow up and the rest is history. Yeah. yeah that's why I did it. That's what appealed to me. Uh, and quite frankly, there's no end to that. Right. Uh, right now I have some people with the MLI select. They're saying, why should I ever bother paying my, my, my mortgage down? Because if I find it's up to 95%, I get this huge cash flow. You know, I can keep doing this forever. Mm-hmm. As long as you maintain the property. And that's, again, I don't want to get into the nuances. That's also something I teach. So I want to appreciate it. And again, not trying to teach, but you got to look at it from the offensive point of view. Yeah, it's all nice and nice when you buy a multifamily, but always keep in mind on the defensive side, what can happen to market conditions, which we all know. And I know the story of Tom and Nick's family back in the 80s, right? Uh, we've been in the studio recording and the, Tom was sharing that with me and Nick. Uh, so you always want to make sure that you mitigate that risk, Right. And what I teach people is to get into my former self as an underwriter. What are these risks? How do you mitigate them so that you have a successful investment? And don't be too greedy. Like I said, the only caveat I have about CMC MLI Select is some of these flexibilities, like low DCR 1.1 is is so freaking low and financing up to 95%, not because the government tells you you can do it, that you should be doing it. I don't think you should be doing it. Maybe scale that back. But still, though, if you go up to, let's say, uh, 80%, all you have to put down is 10%, uh, Anthony. So I think that that could be worthwhile considering, depending again on what you want to do as an investor. Because in my early days teaching this, I'm not in your shoes. I, if you like me, you're going to use OPM, other people's money, which is what I do. Most of my students do, by the way. Capital is not your issue, you guys. It's your mindset first. You can think differently and get rid of your money-limiting beliefs. Um, but you've got to make sure you, your shareholders and you are on the same wavelength in terms of investment goals and investment horizon when they want a return on investment. So uh, so that's why. But if you go at 95% loan to value, it's a higher risk loan. So will market conditions always support higher risk like that? You never know. And I don't think you should count on that to be always uh, rosy. But right now, the landscape for becoming a landlord, whichever form, not just multifamily, but obviously multifamily, you have the uh, the wealth, the multiplier effect of cap rates, it, it, it's best because, you know, it's more bang for for your buck, for less effort. We all want a life and go skiing like I do and traveling. That's what we're in it for, right? So multifamily allows you to do that more. There's less sweat equity involved, a lot less. Mm. Is commercial uh, and multifamily kind of interchangeable terms? Good question. I'm glad I addressed that uh, up front usually. It's confusing. So when people say, oh, yeah, I got commercial property. Uh, okay, like like what? Commercial residential? Because what I'm teaching is commercial residential. 
Again, the income, the, the driver of the valuation is the net operating income, okay? Uh, or is it retail, commercial retail, like a, a hairdresser salon or a dry cleaner or whatever restaurant, okay? However, when we refer to uh, commercial, we mean essentially what I just said. Uh, the, the income, the net operating income is the driver of the value asset. That's what we mean by commercial. But there's a distinction, is it? Retail, or is it commercial purely, or is it commercial residential, which apartment buildings are? So that's, to summarize it in a nutshell, that's the difference. You got to specify that. Uh, for example, let me give you an example. I'm in oil country here, and uh, I hang out with filthy rich oil and gas people, and they buy oil-related assets, and it's the NOI is where it's at. They're also income-producing assets, and the NOI is the driver of the valuation for these oil and gas assets, just like apartment buildings, just like uh, industrial. It's the NOI is the is the name of the game, and it's your best friend. Okay, what are you seeing in the Alberta market right now, Pierre Paul? Good things, thank God. It's been it's been a rough ride. I'm not going to swear, but I'm tempted to. It's been a hell of a <laughs> ride. Okay, you can fill in the blank. Uh, yeah, it's a unique market in Alberta. Mm, we. Let me be very, very blunt that I don't know how to be different. And I teach that way. Uh, I share my mistakes as well. I haven't made any mistakes. To be honest with you, CMEC made mistakes. My banker made mistakes. But uh, it's a unique market. You just got to be careful. We have great things happening in Alberta. Hopefully, we can get rid of Justin once for all. It's going to be even better. Uh, I had to put that one in there. You know that. Uh, <laughs> By all means. So, uh, um, rents are going up. We've not given rental increases you hit, listen to this, in six years. I just February 1st gave my first rental increases in six years. So it's been a hell of a rough patch. Why? It's a unique market. And I think previous governments in Alberta have failed in diversifying the economy. And so when the price of oil went down starting 2015, 2016, uh, you know, oil, comp and then, of course, the, 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 with the strategies that the federal government, uh, Justin Trudeau, namely, uh, had towards the, the, the oil and gas industry, uh, oil and gas companies started to uh, divest uh, from Alberta and uh, we had out migration instead of having in migration and all that. So uh, all the, the fundamentals that we look at in the real estate market uh, starting to started to, uh, I guess, to deteriorate is the best word that I can say. So it's been a rough, uh, rough ride. But now all the, the, the fundamentals are extremely strong. We have a population growth. Uh, in the next 20 years, the population of Canada is going to go from about 38 million to 45.6 million, okay, between now and 2040. 16% of those people are coming here to Alberta. Uh, we're finally diversifying. Uh, we just saw the budget yesterday. Uh, Did you say 1.6 giving... or 60? 16. 16% of those 16, are, yes. are supposed to come here. Why? Home prices are lower, rents are lower, and job opportunities, the highest wages in, in the country, uh, are coming here. So all the fundamentals are becoming very strong. Federal budget yesterday allocated a lot of money. I'm still taking it apart. Um, uh, are, have allocated a lot of money towards uh, green transition measures. And so we got uh, Edmonton's been now dubbed the hydrogen capital of Canada. Uh, I was looking at something else because I do have a bit of a – of a newsletter for my investors, uh, investing in recycling material as well. Like it's so dynamic in this province and never, never, never underestimate the pioneer spirit of Albertans because Albertans, the majority of them are not Albertan. 
They came from Nova Scotia, from Vancouver, from Ontario, looking for a better life. And, and I'm one of those that came here in 2002. And that pioneer Albertan innovative uh, spirit is so strong, it's a beauty to see. So very optimistic uh, about Alberta. Uh, and I'm not the only one. A lot of people from your area, from GTA, are coming out here. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, very hopeful and, and thankful and grateful. So are you yeah, seeing prices things. prices and rent increase in the last bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are all, all across. Uh, my, it depends. Every building's different depending where it's located in the area. But uh, the, it's some increases uh, depending whether the units are renovated or not. But they're, they're in the range of and people are going to be salivating over the number I'm about to share with you. But some of them can be 19%, 12%. Because, again, in Alberta, there's no cap on how much you can increase the rear rents. It's whatever the market can bear. So uh, my philosophy during those difficult years, a lot of shareholders were not happy with me necessarily uh, because I was upgrading these units because I knew, uh, you know, I wasn't looking at the rear mirror. I was looking at what's coming, which is where, where we are now. People wanting very good uh, rental uh, units. And I, I put in the money. Now it's costing, it's crazy. One bedroom unit, if you wanted to the, the kind of upgrades, which are higher upgrades that I have in my own house with the beautiful wide baseboards and vinyl planks, it's like 15 grand for a one bedroom unit now, right? You know, with inflation costs. But then imagine the rents I can charge for that. That's how I can get these high rents. So that's the situation we're experiencing here. Mm -hmm. uh, more competition at the same time, mind you, but hey, it's business, right? That's what business is all about. It's competition. And are the main markets Calgary and Edmonton? Those, are those the main two drivers? Yeah, yeah. But there's uh, Red Deer as well. There's other markets as well. That's something I, I'm, I'm glad you're asking the question. I, I would not uh, discard other smaller markets, whether it's in Ontario. Like I, I come from Rowan Renda, which is from Kirkland Lake. It's an hour east. And I'm very familiar. My dad used to be a logging contractor in northern Ontario. I know a guy, I won't name him, but he's in Kirkland Lake buying multifamily properties, done extremely well. Why? Because you get to buy these assets at a higher cap rate, meaning a lower price. Your cap rates and prices move in the opposite direction. Low cap rates means a very high price. High cap rate means a low price. Okay, so it moves the opposite direction. Doing extremely well in Kirkland Lake because you can get your hands on uh, on multifamily properties a lot cheaper than you can in Toronto or Calgary or Edmonton. So don't discard smaller remote markets uh, necessarily. You got just got to do your homework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that assess the risks uh, properly and mitigate them accordingly. Okay. Pierre Paul, we've covered a ton of stuff here on multifamily. <laughs> You've been talking about this course this whole time. It's coming up this weekend. Do you, yeah. you want to let us know about it? So uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, you know, the, there was an early discount. This all happened, you know, I was reached out by you, uh, Tom and Nick to do this podcast about the, the 11th hour, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going to open up the early bird discount until midnight tomorrow, which is Thursday, uh, the March 30th. Yeah. We're the 29th. Uh, it gives you a $200 discount. Uh, the course is $22.97. Now I'm going to be very blunt. If you think it's too much money, you're in the wrong place. My job, what I can do is put you in the stratosphere as a multifamily investor. Just look at my last blog post published, broadcasted yesterday. These folks now are, are, are uh, the, the, the favored investors of that lender just because they took my workshop and had that high level of sophistication. And I teach you from beginning to end how to start from scratch, how to think, how to plan your move. I show you multifamily hacks, all the hacks I learned at CMS as an underwriter, as a, as a full-time investor, to shave years from your learning curve and make you look like a pro and get the best financing terms and condition. But what I want people to understand, 
It's all experiential. We take one, one of my buildings as a main case study from beginning to end. We go through the entire analysis, how I assess the four key risk factors, property market valuation and borrow, and why, how I finance it and why. With concrete example, due diligence documents, review all of that. It's hands-on. Then on Sunday, I have a few guest speakers. Uh, you get the on-demand course as well for the same price, that $22.97 plus GSD, Anthony. You get uh, a lifetime access to the on-demand course and all the upgrades. And I'm currently using all this nice, fancy technology that I have now with two 4K cameras and all that jazz to record the entire course. And you get one ticket to the live workshop, which is Friday, March 31st at 9 a.m. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. If you're a tire kicker, you think you're going to sit back, do nothing, you've got the wrong guy here. You've got the wrong instructor and the wrong business. And if, again, you think that spending $2,200, $2,300 on the course is too much, your mindset is not in the right place. If you want to buy a multi-million dollar asset, this is nothing. And my course is way underpriced. Everybody keeps telling me that, but it's a labor of love. So if you want, I'll give them. So they can send me an email at support at Multifamily Investing Canada, support at MIC, Multifamily Investing Canada, and tell me you're a Rockstar member, and I'll give you that discount. But please act fast, because I hate to tell you, technically, you do have a bit of homework to do before you show up on Friday. But if you haven't done it, it's not the end of the world. And the course will be uh, recorded. You'll get the replays for up to three weeks after the workshop. I don't recommend you miss. This is, I'll be blunt, Anthony, it's for people really committed. This is not a tire kicker kind of business by any means. Um, the rewards are commensurate with the level of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a tire kicker, don't bother. Okay. Uh, that's, so what, that's what I'm saying. Today's Wednesday, March 29th. I think we're going to release this podcast tomorrow, Thursday, uh, March 30th. Um, and then the course is that weekend. And if people can't make this course by the time they hear the podcast, what what are their options, Pierre Paul? The, the, they, they get the on-demand course as well. They can buy the on-demand course. It's always there available uh, for sale at Multifamily Investing Canada, Mick, Multifamily Investing Canada. Okay, so the whole course is recorded and they, they can watch. Yeah, it. yeah. It's a, it's a small module, so bite-sized videos. You know, it's, okay. it's the same content, except you get way more value. I'm not going to deny that, right, Anthony? You get way more value when you come to the live workshop. Like I share a lot of stories. You can tell I'm a storyteller, right? Yeah, and yeah. I have my stories and I have those of, of all the files that I've underwritten on my students. And we bring a mortgage broker uh, and a building inspector. Ideally, the, the on-demand course contains a video of a full building inspection. And uh, during the live workshop, the building inspector comes and answers all your questions. And uh, I have a, a guest, two guest speakers, a mortgage broker and a successful student to, to share with you, you know, with the students, how, how they've made it. Now I have a student that's coming on Sunday, owns 280 units. So, and he started, he was a Mennonite from rural Manitoba, grew up without phone, TV, any of the modern amenities. Now he owns uh, 280 units, more than I own. Wow. So there you go. Anybody can do this. Okay. I've got one last question. I promised my buddy I would ask you because yeah. I told him we were having you on. He wanted. He's another young investor like me. He wanted to know, has the multi-unit investing market come out of, become out of reach for investors today versus when you first began? And I feel like I already know what your answer is going to be. But uh, wh- what do you think when you hear that question? Well, I don't know if you have kids, but I have three. Uh, my oldest is 25, is actually downtown Toronto now, working for a carbon uh, trading company. I have a 23-year-old daughter who lives in one of my buildings in Edmonton and an 18-year-old who just joined the military. Wow, harsh learning. But uh, um, we, my wife and I taught our kids never to take no for an answer. Uh, you know, my big sister always says, well, when there's a problem, there's always a solution. If you cannot find a solution, that means you're part of the problem. So... Uh, 
taking no for an answer is not part of my book. Um, there's always a way. And uh, again, it's mindset that you've asked me that question at the beginning. What is the biggest hurdle? It's mindset. Yes, it's more competitive. The secret is out. And I'm partly at fault because until I came onto the scene in 2008 and it was through a group called Rain that you may or may not know, uh, I was crossing the country speaking. I kind of started spilling the beans about multifamily. Nobody was teaching it really. Um, but if this is what you want to do, I, I, I'm the last person that's going to try to stop you. But it's, it is work. This is not get rich overnight. This mm-hmm. is not get rich overnight. I, I will not tell you that. Uh, but if Pierre Paul can do it, anybody can do it. You don't have to be a former multifamily underwriter at CNBC. So, yeah. I okay. hope I answered your buddy's question. Did you I? You did. You did. It's inspiring and it's realistic. And uh, I think I think that's the best way you can handle life. You know, inspire yourself, yep. but you know, be realistic about things. And um, yeah, I roll up your sleeves, right? Uh, roll up your sleeves. You're yourself. gonna have to work hard. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 Pierre Paul, it's been a pleasure. You're a ton of fun to speak to, man. We will definitely have to have a drink if we do this again. And I would yeah, definitely like to do it again. That. So, all right. Thank you so much uh, for for having me and Tom and Nick. And uh, I hope that people who are part of the Rockstar family appreciate how lucky they are to have you guys and have Tom and Nick and with uh, the, the, the immense value. I get a lot of value from a distance uh, uh, from Rockstar. So I'm, I'm very grateful once again. My little uh, gratitude rock from the shores of Lake Titicaca in Peru. Thank you so much, Anthony and Rockstar for having me today. Thank you so much. And we're just as grateful to meet guys like you and have you on the show. So thank you for sharing everything. Cheers. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Take care of Pierre Paul. You too. Okay. Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to Pierre Paul for sharing his wealth of knowledge on multifamily investing in Canada. Today's podcast release is on Thursday, March 30th, 2023. And tomorrow on Friday, March 31st, 2023, Pierre Paul is teaching his three his live three-day online weekend workshop on Canadian multifamily investing and has offered that $200 off promo code to listeners if you hear this in time and sign up for the course. Uh, promo code is rockstar2023. And you apply it on the checkout page of the program, which you can get to on Pierre Paul's website site multifamilyinvestingcanada.com and going to the online courses section. Don't forget to also check out Tom's weekly blog and sign up for the Rockstar Weekly email newsletter at rockstarinnercircle.com slash weekly hyphen newsletter. That's where you're going to get access to the weekly email coming in where Tom does his uh, kind of blog write up every week. That's rockstarinnercircle.com slash weekly hyphen newsletter. Thank you again for listening, everyone. And we hope to catch you again on the next episode. Your life, your terms.